give Amen. God praise. Amen. Amen. What incredible messages from Scripture, what biblical truths we've been singing. And I just want to thank our worship team for not just preparing musically, but preparing your heart and life. Because I know what you put into getting ready for a day like today and that you are not here to entertain You are here to lead in worship because we are all sacrificers. We are all worshipers. We worship for an audience of one, the triune God. And we've gathered to worship him. Thank you for leading us. Although, Nathan, i got to say, I've been having this hunger for peach cobbler ever since the beginning of the service today. Thank you very much. If you weren't here at the beginning, you missed that. You can be seated. We have been experiencing the book of Colossians together. We've been walking through it, and God's been speaking to us about what it means to be continually transformed. The earlier chapters of the book, as Pastor Joel's unfolded it for us, has really focused our attention on our identity in Christ, what it means to be in Christ and how that changes us. And then from chapter 3 on, it begins to focus on our relationships If you haven't discovered this, the Christian life is all about relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, our relationships in every facet of our life. And um, that's why Jesus gave the great commandment to love God and to love one another. He's basically summed up all of our biblical responsibilities by saying it's all about those kind of relationships. And so to be continually transformed means we need to be changed in our relationships. And that's an ongoing process in our life. Um, In verses 1 to 7 of chapter 3, we saw that we're being transformed in our relationship with Christ himself because we are now risen with him. We're being transformed in our relationships with the church, verses 8 to 17. He's changing our character. He's changing our relationships with one another. We speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs like we did today. And the church is that new community with new relationships we have in Christ. You have a personal relationship with Christ, I trust, but you don't have a private relationship with Christ. We need each other within the church. It's all about relationships. You know, we we talked about the family. Pastor Luke, I thought he hit the ball right out of the park in that message of challenging us in terms of the role of a wife and a husband, the role of um, of a parent and of a child. And last week, Pastor Joel talked even about relationships on the job. Because the Bible makes a difference Monday through Friday, not just on the weekends, not just on Sunday. It actually transforms our lives. And this morning, we're going to discover that it also transforms our relationships with those outside of the church. School, work, neighborhood, where you do business. It changes those relationships. Maybe a way of thinking about this, if you kind of, in your mind, go back to the Old Testament, book of Exodus and Numbers. Don't turn back but there, but just kind of mentally take a trip with me back there. And God told the nation of Israel that they were to establish the camp as they wandered through the wilderness. And very specific instructions about the tabernacle, which was God's tent. It's where God was worshipped and where people came to pray and offer their sacrifices and to to learn the word of God. And, And God would show up there with a pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Picturing his presence among his people. And then around that tabernacle, there were to be all of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were actually to have a banner so they could know the way home. You know, okay, Issachar over here, Judah over here, Benjamin, Simeon, and all 12 tribes gathered around the tabernacle. 
And in each of those tribes, there would be a clan gathering, an extended family, and then there'd be a household that they'd have their tent. And they were to, they were to be there. God was showing that, that he was to be central to all of their relationships. That doesn't matter what relationship you talk about, God was to be at the center of it all. God was to be at the center of friendships. God was to be at the center of marriage, parenting, work, church, everything. That, that he is to be the center of our relationships. And, but sometimes Israel forgot there was another relationship that they were to also um, focus on. God called his people Israel and said, you are to be a light to the nations. In other words, you're to represent me not just to one another, but you're to represent me before the watching world. You're to interact with the people around you. And sometimes um, they didn't do a very good job with that. Sometimes they just isolated themselves to one another. And sometimes they actually compromised with the idolatry and the sin among the nations. And so they didn't have that light-bearing message. John Piper says, the reason that missions exist is because worship doesn't. And wherever God isn't worshipped, we need to be declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when you turn with me to um, Colossians chapter 4, the question we want to ask is, uh, how should we be transformed by Christ to impact those who need Christ? And I want you to just follow along as I read just a few verses here from Colossians chapter 4, where Paul, he's not changing his thought, he's continuing it about as Christ completely transforms us, how does that impact our relationships with people outside of Christ? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, and at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I, I'm in prison, that I might make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom towards those outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how you ought to answer every person. Father in heaven, thank you that you have created us for relationship in your image. And that you have an intention that we would not only have a relationship with you through your son Jesus Christ, but that relationship would transform every other relationship in our life. That as your love invades us, as your truth impacts us, that it would change us from the inside out and it would transform our families and our homes and how we function in the workplace. But God, it's also your plan that we would be your light today, that we would be the light in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplace, and every place that we go. God, for some of us, that's, that makes us afraid. Some, for some of us, it's just something we cower and we think of and we back away from, we pull back. God, you want us to represent you well. That our being completely transformed makes a difference in those that are outside of Christ around us. So God, would you teach us by your spirit and equip us so that even this week we might 
be your people as we move in our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Pretty simple outline this morning, just if you want to kind of know where we're going. I always like to map out a trip before I take it, so here you go. Three different brief phrases to let you know where we're going in this passage, okay? And I want you to shout it back to me afterwards, so we have audience participation today, so here we go. First one, pray up. Can you shout it back? That wasn't shouting back, that was just sort of mumbling back. Try one more time. Pray up. Second one is speak up. Last one is wise up. Okay, so we're going to do that during the message here. You're going to call that back to me a couple different times. So what's the first one? Pray up. Pray up. And that's exactly what he talks about, that if we're going to live with transformed relationships towards those outside of Christ, we need to pray up. And he talks about that, and he he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, he said, pray for us that God would open a door. I'm interested that Paul, where he's going clearly in this paragraph is to talk about our relationship with outsiders, but he doesn't start there. He starts with talking about prayer. And and I think if we can only recognize the first thing we need to do, if we're going to have an impact for Jesus Christ with those outside of Christ, it starts with God and prayer. It starts with God and prayer. So he says, now listen, you need to pray, and you need to pray continually. Continue steadfastly. Uh, continue, in other words, this is an ongoing kind of thing, that, that prayer is not something that's for emergency use only, it's like breathing in our life. Paul says, pray without ceasing, and the word he uses was used for someone that's got a hacking cough that doesn't cough all the time, but you've always got that tickle in your throat, so he says, pray continually, pray continually, and so prayer, as we pray continually, we're going to be ready when God gives us an opportunity to be able to share Christ with others. So pray continually, and, and he says, pray, continually pray steadfastly. And that's a word that's only used 10 times in the New Testament, but six of those times it's used for prayer. Interesting. It has the idea of being devoted to something, to be continually engaged in something. Same word was used in Acts 1.14 for the church between the um, ascension of Christ and the day of Pentecost, that they continued steadfastly in prayer. It's used in Acts 2.42 for the description of the first church, that they continued steadfastly in prayer and in teaching and in fellowship and in the Lord's table. They continued in it. And that the apostle says, we're going to give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Ten times the word's used, six times about prayer. So he's saying it's something we're to devote ourselves to. Devote yourself to prayer, and when you do that, God will help you be completely transformed, and you'll be praying up. And as you pray up continually, as you pray up earnestly, you will also pray up vigilantly. Vigilantly, He says being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Uh, that, that idea of being watchful is really a military term about guard duty. He's saying when you pray, you're, you're doing guard duty. You're on watch. You're checking it out. You're, you got your eyes open. You're ready. Remember what Jesus, in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes off and he prays. He asks his disciples to pray with him. Do you remember the story? And, um, and Jesus comes back and he finds his disciples what? Asleep. Not once, but three times. Um, and, and when he comes back, he says this, watch Set up guard duty and pray. For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says, 
watch, set up guard duty and pray. Do you realize like a spiritual sentry, we are to be alert in prayer. A lot of times the reason we struggle with temptation is because we're not alert in prayer. Well, sometimes the reason we lose opportunities to be able to represent Christ to others is we're not alert to those opportunities in prayer. So he said, be vigilant, set up guard duty in prayer. And then he, he says, pray gratefully. Pray, pray gratefully with thanksgiving. It's interesting to me how many times in the Bible God mentions prayer as an essential ingredient in um, prayer. Uh, remember Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. We, we make our needs known to God. Thanksgiving. Psalm 100 says we're to come into God's presence with thanksgiving. Um, came back on uh, this this weekend, I was down in Word of Life, uh, Florida, teaching all week, and got back in time to be able to spend some time with our grandsons and uh, and our son and daughter-in-law from Texas. And we invited them all over on uh, uh, Saturday morning for breakfast and made made waffles. You know, if you don't get the right ingredients in it, it doesn't turn out right. And the second batch I made, I had too much milk and too many eggs in there, and it just kind of ran all over the place. You got to have the right recipe. Well, in prayer, an absolutely important ingredient is thanksgiving. When you pray with thanksgiving, you're focusing on God's grace and goodness. So he said, listen, you need to pray up. You need to pray up continually, earnestly, vigilantly, gratefully, and then you need to pray up compassionately because you need to focus on the needs of other people outside. And so he's been focusing so, uh, so far into just the quality of our prayer, but now the content of our prayer. In verse 3, he said at the same time, pray for us that God may open us a door for the word. And sometimes we think about the Apostle Paul and think, man, he was kind of a super saint. He was never intimidated, never struggled to share his faith, never fearful. But if you trace how many times the Apostle Paul says, pray for me, um, pray for me to have an open door. Pray for me to have opportunity to be able to share my faith. Paul acknowledged his dependence on God in prayer to be able to impact others. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, at the end of that warfare passage, he actually prayed. He said, pray for me that God would give me boldness to be able to speak the word of God. So the first one is pray up. Say it with me, okay? Pray up. Pray up. If you're going to pray up, let's talk about some practical ways that you can do this. First of all, I want to give you three things about prayer that you can actually do this week so that you are in a better position, being completely transformed to impact other people around you. Here's three things you can pray about, all right? Three things. First of all, pray for specific people. If you don't have a list of people that maybe are in your neighborhood or in school with you or people that work with you that don't know Christ, that are outside of Christ, I want to challenge you. This is the week. I want you to develop that as a prayer list, even if it's only four or five people. I'm not talking about people you never see, you know, the relative from Alaska. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the person you see every day, person you work with, person that lives next door to you or in your cul-de-sac, the person that uh, you always see where you go and work out or the waiter that always waits on your table where you go to eat. That, that's the people I want you praying for. At least five people. 
Come up with a list of people that you're going to pray for that you don't think know Christ. And start praying for them by name. I remember when um, Bert and I were first married, and we were in Bible college, uh, I worked for a grocery store chain. And um, I was, when I first went there, as near as I know, the only believer in this pretty large store, the Vestal Parkway in near Binghamton, New York. And I said, well, God, you put me as your representative in this store for, for the gospel. So I, I, I got to know everybody by name, and I made a list of every person in that store, and I would rotate through the week and pray for them. And my goal was, I only worked there about two years, that I would share the gospel with every person there sometime during that two-year period. But it started with prayer. Here's a second thing I want to ask you to pray. So as you pray up, pray for names of people that need Christ. Secondly, pray for boldness. Pray for courage and confidence in you. It's interesting that the early church did that. They were intimidated in Acts chapter 4 because they were told not to ever speak in the name of Jesus or there would be consequences that would be severe. You know what they did? They gathered together the believers and they prayed. They prayed up. And they prayed for boldness, for confidence. And the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit filled them in response to their prayer and they spoke boldly for Jesus Christ. And many people came to Christ. Prayer is the first work in our ministry to those outside. You pray for people, you pray for boldness, and here's the third one. Pray for opportunities. That's what Paul's focusing on here. Pray for opportunities. Say, God, would you give me an opportunity to be able to represent Jesus Christ in the lives of people? So as I prayed for opportunities, I prayed for people, I prayed for boldness, God began to give me opportunities to be able to share and speak. One of those opportunities came through a guy whose name was Bob. Bob was also a college student, went to the local community college. He was studying to be an electric, uh, electrical engineer. Bob uh, was a guy who, who was just, I knew he was a party guy. I, I knew because he would come in on Saturday mornings when I was working there with a hangover, and his car would be parked out in the parking lot where he spent the rest of the night. So I knew that Bob needed Christ. And I began to develop a relationship with him and say, God, give me opportunities to be able to share. And I would pray, God, give me opportunities to talk to Bob. Well, Bob and I would be in the back room cutting and marking freight. And we'd talk about sports and politics and what he was learning about engineering and everything. And I said, God, I want to speak as openly if you'll give me opportunities to speak about Christ to him. Why should people be more excited about March Madness than I am about the gospel? It just doesn't make sense to me. I'm, I'm all about March Madness, especially if you're from Michigan. I mean, really, nobody here for Duke or North Carolina, are there? I know there's Michigan State. I won't even ask that. Jeff, you and me, man. Okay. Listen, you ought to be more excited about speaking about Christ than anything else in our lives. Opportunity. So the first one is what? Pray up. Pray up. Second one is speak up. Speak up. Look what Paul says. So he's praying for this. He says, now speak up. And he, he says the purpose, the focus is pray for us that purpose God may open to us a door for the word. God would give an open door, an opportunity. Uh, in Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul is um, in the area we call Turkey, and he's seeking God's direction for the next step. And God uh, he gives him a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, uh, come over and help us. And he perceived, Luke writes, 
that God had opened a door. So he gets there to Philippi. And normally he goes to the synagogue to proclaim the gospel, but there was no synagogue. There was a prayer meeting of Jewish ladies, though, down by the river. So he shows up there, and he begins to speak the gospel. And as he begins to speak the gospel, a woman named Lydia is there, and God, listen to this, opens her heart. Open door to go, open heart of Lydia. You know the rest of the story in Philippi that that Paul um, is used of God to see a number of conversions start to happen. One of them was a demonized girl whose life has changed and it starts a riot and Paul and Silas wind up in jail. And in jail, rather than whining and complaining, they're singing psalms and it brings the house down, literally. There's an earthquake and the doors open. Open door to go, open heart of Lydia, open jail. And he's brought into the house of the jailer. And God opens the heart of the jailer and his family to trust Christ. Paul says, listen, I want to speak up. I want to speak up that God would give me an open door. An open door. An open door, he says, to declare the word. It's an open door for the word. When it comes to ministering to people outside of Christ, we need to remember that you and I don't have the power to change another person's life. Isn't that a relief? It's not up to you to do that. You don't have the power to do that. It's not your arguments that are ever going to change another person's heart. It is the power of the word of God. Listen, this is a living word from God. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's where faith comes from. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, from a child you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 3, 15. See, God uses this word like a seed when you plant it in the heart of a person by sharing the word of God with them that will germinate with a spirit's power to bring forth faith and life and change them. I've seen it happen again and again. Uh, By the way, that happened to Bob. That happened to Bob. I began sharing the gospel with him, planting the seed in his heart, not knowing what God was doing. And after a while, he starts asking questions. Because you're planting the seed of the word. By the way, that's the value of memorizing scripture. Because when you're in a conversation with somebody, and and you don't go and run and find your Bible and say, let me find that verse. Because it just kind of messes up the conversation, you know? That's why I like memorizing the Bible, so that in the conversation you can just talk it. You just share it naturally. So he says, i got to speak up, but I need to declare the word. And as I declare the word, he said, as I speak up, I'm going to reveal Christ. I'm going to declare the mystery of Christ, that which was unknown in the Old Testament that's now known in Christ. You see, the message of, that you're sharing with people isn't about you. It's the message of Christ. It's not even primarily about your church. It's about Christ. The gospel, the good news, is all about Jesus. Paul declares this in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to what he said. This is the gospel, he says. That Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It's all about Christ. It's all about his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the good news in a bad news world. The good news that a people can be forgiven of their sins because Jesus died and rose again. We sang the gospel this morning, didn't we? The, The message is the message of the word of God. An open door... For the word of God about Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ. So when you look at this, 
He said, I want to declare the word. I want to reveal Christ. And he said, help me clearly communicate this. Help me clearly communicate this. He said, um, to declare to the mystery of Christ, he said, and for this reason I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. The clarity, the simplicity of the message. Friend, sometimes our message gets blurred in our culture because people focus on where we are politically and even where we are morally and ethically as if we're saying to them that you need to measure up before you can ever come to Christ. We need to be very clear that the message of the gospel is God meets people where they are in their brokenness and sin and begins to change them from the inside out. Friends, that is the gospel. And Paul says, I want to communicate it so clearly. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 talks about the importance of that clear message. He said if the, if the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those that are lost, that are outside of Christ. But he says we have this treasure, this message so clearly given in clay pots. And, and he says this is the message which is like a laser beam light that the light shines out of darkness in the hearts of people and can change them. We need to speak up. We need to speak up. We need to make it clear. We need to bring it to light. We need to make it known. And we need to accept responsibility. Look at the, um, look at the end of what he says here. He said, um, which is how I ought to speak. I've never wanted as a pastor to become a, a travel agent for a guilt trip. And I'm not going to do that today, all right? Guilt doesn't motivate anybody to godliness. It, it convicts us of sin, so we run to Christ. And, and one of the things that, you know, when you talk about prayer, people feel guilty because they don't pray. But I want to tell you, God has something so much better for you when you pray up. And when it comes to speaking up, I want you to know that God wants to use you, but you do have a responsibility, God makes you responsible for the people around you to speak the gospel to them. You have a God-given responsibility. Listen to the word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 28 that we are to make disciples of all nations. In Mark 16, 15, he said, go and preach the gospel to every person Matt, uh, Luke 24, he said that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his name among all nations. John 20, 21, he said, as a father has sent me, so send I you. Acts 1, 8, he said, you'll receive the, pow the, the power of the Holy Spirit, and you'll be witnesses to be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, under the uttermost parts of the earth. I want you to get this. Every Christian is called by God to bear witness for Jesus Christ. Paul says, as I ought to speak. It's my responsibility. Now, God gives you his Holy Spirit, and he gives you the message, and he gives you the opportunities, and that's why we pray up in order to speak up. So let's say those two things again, all right? Pray up, speak up, okay? And as you pray up and you speak up, you need to also wise up. You need to wise up. And, and Paul is making it clear as he's talking about our relationship with those outside of Christ. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, towards those that are not in the church, they're not in Christ, they're not a part of the body of Christ, they're not a part of the family of God. He said, walk in wisdom. Uh, Paul loves this word walk because it's, the, it's a picture of how we live our ordinary daily life. 
Like we, walking is how we normally get from place to place. And, it, and it's progressive and it's ongoing. And Paul loves to use that metaphor of walk. But here he says, walk in wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is uh, different from knowledge and understanding. It's connected. Knowledge is having the right truth in the right relationship. That's what it is, biblically. It's not just information. It's truth in the context of relationship. And when you have knowledge, that then gives you insight. That's called understanding. It's when the light goes on saying, oh, I get it. I I see how that connects. But wisdom is the application of knowledge and understanding to daily life so that you are living skillfully. When you think wisdom, think skill. It's talking about the skill of living. It's a skill of living that comes from thinking God's thoughts and choosing God's path. But it's living skillfully. So Paul says, walk in wisdom, live skillfully, Because you're applying biblical truth in relationship, and you're gaining insight, and now you're applying it to your life. And guess what? When you wise up, people around you see the difference in your life. And it's contagious. You see, we've got to to wise up in order to walk in wisdom so that people can see that we're authentic. People around you don't expect you to be perfect, but they do expect you to be real. And it's like people that don't know Christ have this hypocrisy radar. Boop, 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 going off all the time. And if you, if you think you're better than them, they're going to watch for where you're not and where you're inconsistent with what you claim. So he says, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Do that. You've got to wise up. And then he said, redeem opportunities. Make the best use of the time. I like studying time management, and throughout my life, it's been something that I've kind of had a a sidebar study of, and this is a passage that talks to that, but it's really not the focus on how you manage your schedule. It's how you manage opportunities that are around you, because that's the context. He said, literally, buying up the opportunities, buying up the opportunities that come your way, and as you think about those opportunities, as you take make best use of them as you take full advantage of them is what he's saying these are opportunities to be able to share christ opportunities to be able to do that by the way i want you to just notice a pattern here if you go back up to um verses three and four paul asks prayer for opportunity and then clarity you see that he says pray for me for an open door that's opportunity and pray that i will make the word of god clear And now in verses 5 to 6, he does the same thing. He says, pray for opportunity, redeem the time, and that you can have clarity. Opportunity and then clarity. He said, now, let your speech, it's interesting how many times in this passage that he uses words about speech. Like in verse 3, he said, declare that I may make it clear that I ought to speak. He says, now let your speech be always And later, how you know how you ought to answer everyone. And he says, let your speech before those who are outside of Christ. And he says two things about your speech. Let it be gracious and let it be salty. Let it be gracious and let it be salty. So he said to speak with grace and salt. Now, grace, that's kindness. That's graciousness. That's the opposite of the Pharisees and the Gospels. So to speak with grace is to be not like a Pharisee. Do you know how most of the world out there sees the evangelical church today? Just like they saw the Pharisees. Judgmental, critical, prideful. 
Your speech ought to have grace, kindness, gracious tone when you talk to people. People can sense when you're looking down your nose at them, when you're critical of them. And friends, I know people that you're going to share the gospel with, their lifestyle can be totally out of sync with what God says. I don't expect people who are outside of Christ to act like people that are inside of Christ until they're inside of Christ. When they're in Christ, I expect change that God makes from the inside out. So don't look down your nose at a person that doesn't know Christ. When sinners behave like sinners, that's normal. Kindness, grace in your speech. And then salt. Salt. Salt has to do with that distinction that you have, a distinctive influence. Matthew 5.13 says we are to be salt and we can't lose our savor. So while you're gracious and kind, there still is truth, salt, in the way you speak. When you speak about Christ to people who need Christ, do they sense the kindness of the grace of God? And do they sense the salt of the truth of God? Interesting about Jesus, John 1.14, we read this about Jesus, that the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. One translation has it. And it tells, and we, we saw the glory of God put on display, but watch this, full of grace and truth. That's what characterized Jesus. He was full of grace. He was full of truth. Do the people that are outside of Christ around you sense a kindness and a graciousness to your tone towards them? Do they sense that you have salt? So you have something to say that's wise and truthful because it comes from God. So you have salt, but you also have grace. Sometimes we pour on the salt, and it just chokes people. You put a little grace and salt together, it's a great recipe when you wise up, when you wise up. One other thing I want you to notice here. He said, um, you need to make it, you need to know how to answer every person. He said, well, that, Pastor, that's a problem. I don't know how to answer every person, and that's what makes me afraid. Someone's going to ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. Let me tell you how I handle that. And, and um, I, think, I think of some, some relationships in my life where I was speaking to someone that was outside of Christ, and they were asking me questions that sometimes I didn't know the answer to. Here's what I said. I want you to just practice this with me, okay? I don't know the answer. Say that with me. I don't know the answer. But I'll find the answer and get back to you. But I'll find the answer. Let's practice that one more time. I don't know the answer. But I'll find an answer and get back to you. Do you know what? People will respect you for that because you're taking their questions seriously. My own brother, who was an atheist, asked me so many questions I didn't know the answer to. And I got so used to saying that. I said, Jack, I don't know the answer. But I'll find an answer and get back to you. And ultimately, my brother trusted Christ. It took months and months. I had a friend named Art here in Grand Rapids that I met with, and he was a brilliant PhD in physics. A guy, I mean, just mentally brilliant guy, owns a company here in Grand Rapids. And for two years, I met with him at a restaurant on 28th Street once a month. And he would come with his Bible tabbed with questions. He, he was reading through the Bible, and he came up with all kinds of questions that no one had ever asked me before. And there were times when I said, you know what? I don't have an answer, but I'll find one, and I'll get back to you. 
and I would get back to him. So when you wise up, that doesn't mean you know everything. It's okay to admit you don't have the answer. Get an answer and come back to them. And when you do that, they will respect you that you're not just blowing smoke, that you value their questions that much. So wise up. Pray up. Speak up. And wise up. Now, I want to give you a couple of other things that you can do right now. Do you know that according to national surveys... Most people that are outside of Christ said they would come to church if somebody invited them. A friend, a neighbor, that's true. You think, no, they won't be interested. No, the fact of the matter is, some people are just waiting for an invitation. So as you are praying for people this week, as you are getting opportunities to speak up, you can also wise up by saying, there's also two times a year when people are most apt to come to church, according to surveys. Christmas and Easter, more people will be willing to accept an invitation to come to church at Easter than almost any other time of the year. So you could, this week, begin inviting people to say, come with me, and, and I would say Easter, Easter Saturday night service, Easter Sunday morning service, they will come. And then when they find out, well, you got a Monday night deal going on? Well, how different is that? That'll work with my schedule. I'll come. Come with them on April 9th. Bring them. Use those opportunities to be able to invite other people. Now, I want want to say to you, when I look at you today, I see something that maybe you don't see. I see people who have around you Lines connected to other people. Some of you are students in high schools, and you have, you have other friends at Jenison High School and Hudsonville High School and Zeeland High School and Granville High School, and you're connected to other people there. I see people who are connected to people in neighborhoods, and you have neighbors that live on your street, on your cul-de-sac. Your kids play with them, you know them, and it's springtime, and people are coming out of hibernation. I see people who work in factories and offices and hospitals and for companies and in the trades, and, and, and you're connected to other people where you work. They know you, and you know them. You're connected, right? I see people who work out at the same gym multiple times a week and see the same people in the locker room, and you're working out at that machine right next to somebody else. I see people who go through the same line and admire and see the same person again and again. <laughs> I see you connected. Matter of fact, you know what I see when I, when I think about that? We're all connected. If you took all of those connections and you laid it on what's called a sociograph, where you show those connections on a piece of paper, it would cover most of West Michigan. Right here. So what would happen? If us being completely transformed meant that we prayed up, that we spoke up, that we wised up, there would be a movement of God seeing people come to trust Jesus Christ day after day, week after week, month after month. You know what it takes? We need to pray up. We need to be willing to speak up. 
we need to wise up because when you do, God already is working in their hearts. And you'll get the privilege of seeing people's lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the word of God, for the gospel of Christ. I pray that you would give us boldness and courage that you would give to us a deep desire to pray for people who need Christ. Give us a compassionate heart that recognizes that whether they know it or not, they're heading for eternity, someplace, hell or heaven. And it's only in you that they can find forgiveness and eternal life and be reconciled to you redeemed from the slavery of their sin. The wrath of God satisfied against them, it's only through the gospel of Christ. Oh God, may we care enough to pray. May we have enough boldness to speak. May we have wisdom in our walk to seize those opportunities, to speak with grace and salt. To be able to trust you for the answers, but to accept our responsibility that you have put us in places of influence for you. God, help us not to ignore those that are outside and to really believe that you are all about redeeming people for eternity and you want to use us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stay.